Uh, so we're looking at the Lord's Prayer tonight. And I, I, the, the Lord's Prayer, if you feel like you're going adrift, the Lord's Prayer is, is the perfect prayer uh, for you. And in fact, you can actually look at the parts of the Lord's Prayer and spell the word adrift. So, our Father who art in heaven, that's like the address, right? And then, um, uh, so A, and then uh, hallowed be thy name, that's a description, A, D, and then there's a, um, let's see, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that is... um, what did I say with the R? Shoot. Well, um, what was that? Reverence. Well, that's not the word I was thought. I should have written it down. Um, I just thought of it today, and I thought, man, I am smart. Um, <laughs> I bet nobody's ever come up with that before. Now I don't remember. Now I'm prideful. Um, yes. Hmm. Um, Yes, I know. It's, um, I know. Uh, rede- well, we call it redemption. Rede- redemption. And then um, I is uh, intake. Give us this day our daily bread, all that we need, intake. F is forgiveness. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses and lead us not into T, temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then if you wanted to put it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, you could just do an exclamation point. Um, for that. So we're going to look at, at these. Uh, obviously, we're not going to go through that. That was sort of a waste. Sorry about that. The R. Um, but the, um, so the, the prayer, some people call it the Our Father, some people call it the, the Lord's Prayer, um, is uh, really a wonderful model for prayer. You can use the, just the words that G- we have in Scripture, the words that Jesus gave us, or you can use, uh, you can use the, uh, the pattern uh, of it to uh, just the descriptions of, of God, the, the, the addressing of God, the, the proclaiming of God's redemption, the, um, and the petitions. So he begins uh, this prayer with the, our Father who art in heaven, and then we have three petitions that orient us to the Father. In English, or at least the way it normally is, they don't look like petitions. They don't look like, but, but um, actually, hallowed be thy name is let thy name be holy. It's, a, it's, an, it's, it's in the Greek, it's in the imperative. Um, so preserve the holiness of your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are petitions. And then three petitions about ourselves. After we've oriented ourselves to the Father, then we can, we're ready to ask, ourselves, uh, ask about ourselves and our needs. Provide us our daily needs, our daily bread. Help us to forgive uh, as, we're free, as we forgive and um, or forgive us as we forgive, and then help us to avoid sin. So, three petitions that orient us to God, His holiness, His kingliness, His sovereignty, and then three petitions um, that help us focus on our needs once we have been oriented to God, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. So, the address, we call, we are to address our Father, right? He's our Father, not my Father only. Uh, He is my Father, but he's our father. Right away, right off the bat, I'm, so, I'm part of something greater uh, than myself. Right? I'm part of a family. If we all have the same father, then we are part of a family. right? So it's, he's our father. I'm, 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 mem- I'm a member of the family of God. Um, right off the bat, there's a corporate element uh, to our discipleship. 
right in this prayer. But he's not just our father, he's our father. He's our father. God is our father. Do you know that Jesus referred to God as his father in every single recorded prayer uh, that we have of Jesus in all four Gospels except for one. He called God his Father in every single prayer that we have except for one. Can you think of what that was? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From the cross. And in that moment, in that forsakenness, he, he did, I, I, I don't want to say technically he ceased to be the Son of God, but he had become sin for us. He had been separated from the Father. So in that moment, he's not a child, really, in, in the sense... But, um, but every other time, he has this intimate prayer life, this, uh, this praying to God as a, as a child prays to his Father. And that intimacy is intended because that it's, we, have, we are given, when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray our Father, just like he did. We are offered in Christ the same intimacy uh, with the Father that he is. So right away, we see uh, that there's a corporate element, but we also see who may pray this prayer, Right? We, what we see is, is for the children of God. Now, who are the children of God? We are. That's right. We are Christians. We have been adopted into the family by grace. Right? We pray to the Father through the Son. First um, John says, See what love He has lavished upon us that we may be called children of God. And so we are. So we are... We are um, now, he loves everybody. We're all, everyone's created in his image. But to John, the Gospel of John says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. So this, in a, it's in a technical sense. We are children because we are in Christ. Does that mean other people aren't his children? doesn't mean he doesn't love them. But he, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But we come to God the Father, through God, uh, the Son. This is an intimacy that's given to us because Christian believer, as Christian believers, we are in Christ. I always think of that like, as we're in an, like he's an envelope. We're in him and sealed up. We're, we're enveloped in, the, in Christ. We're clothed in his righteousness. Now, I know what's on the inside of that envelope, and it's kind of dirty, right? It's, it's me. I, know, I look in the mirror. I know my thoughts. And, and yet... When we're in Christ, we are declared clean. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. And so, uh, this intimacy is um, given through Him in Christ's name. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through Me. Right? John 14. Now, if you're not coming to the Father through the Son, you're not coming to the Father. Now, you might be coming to God. But God is holy. And everyone who comes before a holy God, and we're asking, actually in a minute, we'll ask that His name be made holy, and we'll talk about what that means. But everybody who comes before God without a mediator, what? Falls on their face, sure they're going to die. But we are given this incredible opportunity to come to the Father as His child. Now, think about your children. When they were, when they were just little children. And they, I mean, they might have dirt on their faces and, or, or who knows what in their hair or their pants or whatever, and you still are going to love them no matter what. If they say, I hate you as a teenager, 
you still love them. I mean, you don't like them right, right in that moment, right? But you love them, and, you, and sometimes you discipline them, not because you're mad, because you love them, right? Maybe because you're mad, but that's another thing. So, um, no one comes to the Father except through me. You, again, you might come to God, but you're not coming to the Father. This, is, this, is, this invitation that we should pray our Father actually is what makes this prayer Christian. If you look all throughout there, we can talk about forgiveness and daily bread and the holiness of God's name. There's nothing particularly Christian about that. But what makes this a Christian prayer is that we come to Him as our Father. Because we come in the name of the Son. Okay? So, a father loves his child regardless of their obedience. I mean, if I mess up, or let's just say, if my kid messes up, I'm still going to love that kid. And so if I'm God's child, when I mess up, he's still going to love his kid. There's a real intimacy there and, a, and a, an incredible blessing. Um, it would have been highly offensive, I think, to Jesus' original audience, uh, blasphemous even, because no other, no other religion ever thinks of God as, no, no other religion offers God as Father. He's, he's holy. He is to be feared and awed and obeyed, not cuddled with. And we don't, I mean, we, we, we still have that, that fearsomeness, but he is also a God of love and it is because he's our father. I, um, you know, he loved, a father loves being with their children. He loves being with you, Right? The way that you love to sit on the couch, no matter really how old they are probably, and watch football and cheer for the same team or, or whatever it is for you and the way that you enjoy, you love hearing from them. And I know things are broken and, and there's a strange, I, I know those things. But ideally, and he is our ideal father. Now you, you and I may not be his ideal children, but actually we are in Christ because we're enveloped. That's amazing grace. So... Um, he loves to see us work in our gifts. He loves to see us succeed at the things that he made us for. He's our father. Jesus called him Abba, like daddy, right? And, and it's intimate and it's personal and it's, and it's not just for little children. Uh, it carries the weight of respect that you would expect in a paternal society like theirs, but it still is intimate. Abba, Abba. Okay, any and that's, that's about as far much as I can do with our Father, uh, if we're going to have any hope of getting through uh, this. But any questions, any thoughts that resonate? Yeah, question? Uh-huh. Well, I don't think he ever ceased to be God. Sissy said did he, did he, that was when he was fully human. He's always fully human. But I, I think what you're saying is he, that is, I mean, Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And, and that's that moment. There's a cosmic rift in the Trinity. For the first and last time, God turn, the Father turns his back on God the Son because he is sin. When he turns back on the sun, he turns it to us. Right? So that's what Jesus took upon himself. right? In that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moment? And then he says, it is finished. Right? So, 
So he is our Father uh, who art in heaven. Uh, he is in heaven. If you think of uh, your Abba, your Daddy, but then you balance it with this, that he's in heaven. Like He is the king. He's the ruler. He's the orchestrator of the entire universe. He's everything. He's the one who made everything that the Hubble telescope has ever seen. Uh, I saw something recently that talked about how the... Um, there are a hundred billion galaxies or something. I mean, it's just something astro. I mean, ridiculous. You can't even imagine how teeny tiny the earth is in this whole thing. And he made it all, and he knows you personally. Like, I just can't. It's just hard to get somebody your head around how vast his creation is and how personally he knows you at the same time. He is our Abba, but he is unbelievably gigantic. <laughs> He is, he is the creator of all. He is, he is in heaven. Um, and I think it's just so important for us to, to balance those. Uh, in this, and this is such an incredibly concise prayer. But those, he's our father and he is in heaven. He is, he is the majesty. And yet he's our daddy. He's on high. He's outside of time and space. He is pure and holy. We'll talk about hallowed be thy name. In a minute, he is the object of worship for all that is. Mountains bow down and seas roar and trees clap their hands. And he is our father. Like That's, that's pretty awesome. You know, he's the one that, that every time when you get on your knees at your bedside and say, God, I'm just having a rotten day or will you please bless my family? You're talking to the one who said, let there be light. And there was in the middle of nothing. And in fact, there was light before there was a sun, uh, at least from the, uh, from the Genesis chapter 1. Now, I don't know how he did that. But he's our Father. He's transcendent. He's in heaven, yet he hears not just our loudest praise, but our quietest thoughts. Psalm 139 says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it full well. He's in heaven, and he is with us. He's our Father. All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the first of six petitions. Let your name be holy. Now, how do you, let me ask you this. How do you think about holiness? What is your thought about, when we say, yeah, God is holy, we sing about it? Without sin, okay? Purity. Hmm? Perfect. Yes. Think it. Hmm? Loving. Okay. All right. All those are certainly right about his, the description of who God is and probably what holiness is as well. I would say that holy is other. The standard for all that is. He is not loving because he is meets some other standard. You and I are loving because there is a thing called love, right? But there is a thing called love because of who God is. He's above all that. He is other. Um, his name is the... But his name... We're saying let your name be holy. The, your name is the thing by which you're known. It's, it's his reputation. It's the way uh, that he is thought of by the masses. So think about the, um, some of the Scripture passages that you might think of as, as describing God's holiness. Remember when 
Moses, the first time he was given the law, he went up on Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and dread darkness and, and, it, and there's this, this gap between the people and they, if they were to touch the mountain, that they would fall down dead. I mean, there is a, and that doesn't sound loving. No, he is loving. God is love. But he is fearsome in his holiness. There is a distance. When we understand we're not perfect. We are not holy. There's a, there's a necessary divide there. Or Isaiah 6, where, remember, Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord, and he, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and the seraphim and the cherubim are uh, flying around God in the throne room, sing, calling out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said, drops to his, on his face and says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Immediately overwhelmed with his own unholiness in the midst of God's holiness. Revelation chapter 1 where John sees Jesus, uh, John the author, uh, who sees Jesus and he says, when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. The holiness of God rightly causes fear. It's a fear of respect, right? It's awe, it's wonder, but it is a fear that inspires terror because we see our own sinfulness. It is light, His holiness is light because it exposes our darkness. Um, So he is holy. He is loving. Um, Tim Keller says that, uh, he was talking about the devil's schemes, and he says that um, when when the devil accuses you, you are so bad, or you're dirty, I can't believe you you feel that accusation. What he's hiding is the love of God who says, you are enveloped by my grace. You are are my child. But when he tempts us, he's hiding the holiness of God. That thing that would keep us, when those things are hidden, when his holiness is hidden, we think, ah, no big deal. God won't mind that much. He's he's my buddy, God. So the devil's hiding the holiness of God. It's a temptation. Pretty neat way to think about temptation. We're going to talk about temptation. We ask God not to lead us there in just a minute. But temptation hides the holiness of God. Now the holiness of God calls us to a life of holiness, right? There is a proper desire in the Christian heart for holiness. It doesn't, not what saves you. You don't become a Christian by being holy. But you become holy because of His holiness. It's a function of reconciliation with our Creator. We were made to be holy as He is holy. And yet, of course, by grace, the or else is removed. Be holy or else. What? The or else is moved. Just be holy. It's an invitation. It's a reconciling invitation. So why would we ask God to preserve His own holiness? Doesn't that seem a little bit silly? I mean, he can't really be unholy. He would cease to be God at that point. Let your name be holy. Preserve your holiness. It sounds... I think it has to mean, let your name be holy unto us. right? To me, let your name be holy. Um, it's, a, it's a petition that's rooted in praise and worship. Your name is holy. But I think it's a confession. 
It's a recognition that we, on our own, we won't regard His name as, as holy. It's a prayer of uh, our conformity to His holiness. Root out the things in me that keep me from regarding you as holy. Let your name be holy to me. Because otherwise, I, if you don't do it, I, I, I may not think you're holy. I may be tempted. Your holiness may be hidden from me. Now, it's not wrong to use it as a declaration of praise. Your name is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord. That's not wrong. But it is instructive, isn't it? To see that after Jesus orients us to the Father and to His transcendence, our Father who art in heaven, that the first thing we get is a proper understanding of the character of God. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let your name be unto me holy. Why, why is that important? That we would know the character and declare back to God the, His own character. Why is that important? What do you think? Yes, you're orienting yourself to God in the proper way. There's a, there's, it's humiliating in, in the best sense. It's humbling to say, you're God, God, and I am not God. Right? Because that's kind of our default. Is to try, and you know what I mean. I think you, you know what I mean when I say we, we try to be God, at least a little God, unto ourselves. I want to be in charge. I want to sit on the throne of my own heart. You're holy, and I'm not. Anything else? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's two. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So, you have it in Matthew. Open, uh, many of you. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what? Do you know? What's Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Beatitudes is the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. What's the whole thing called? Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount. I know, you just didn't want to embarrass about speaking up. Um, so Matthew uh, records Jesus' famous, most famous sermon, the best sermon that there's ever been. Um, and in the context of the, of the Lord's Prayer, chapter 6 begins by saying, um, he's telling the people, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your piety, your righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. This is um, in, the, in the context of uh, appropriate religious practice, is practicing your righteousness. It doesn't say don't be seen by others in your good deeds. It says Beware of doing those things in order to be seen. And, and, and you have that sort of the image of a Pharisee uh, just spouting this beautiful prayer. So people will say, oh, that was such a beautiful prayer. Rather than saying, gosh, I just help. Uh, whatever it is. You know, just some, and, and, he, and Jesus says, don't worry about all the words that you're praying. Um, don't worry. Don't. It's not that you don't want to do things that people don't see. In your own heart, that's a heart-level thing. Don't do them in order to get their praise. You'll get your reward. They'll praise you. It'll be over. But if you do it for the glory of God. So the warning is, is essentially uh, against praying to yourself. 
or praying for on behalf of yourself, praying to those who are listening. Have you ever have done that? If somebody's prayed for you and, and just said, um, well, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I can say that I, I was going to come up with an example. I'll just tell you in my own life, I can remember a time early in our marriage and I, and I, I said, um, Amy and I were praying together. I said, Lord, help Amy because she just needs to know that um, if she will just call me uh, before she leaves, then I don't remember what the context was, but it quickly became apparent that I wasn't praying to God, I was praying to Amy. And I, I had, uh, I was, I moved from praying to preaching, uh, is what I had. Uh, and, 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 and so, what's that? I was in big trouble. That's, that's, that was the couch for me that night. But the, um, um, you know, we can do that. I mean, I, I've heard prayers so many times. People say, you know, thank you for Bob Lord. He's such a great guy. He just has meant so much to me. And, and I just, um, you know, I just love his deep voice when he reads. And I just, you know, I'm just talking to Bob. You know, I'm not really praying. I could just tell Bob all those things. You're a great guy, and I love it when you read. Um, the, um, there is a, uh, a, a, this is the context that Jesus is teaching us about prayer. And so, Jesus is saying, no, our prayer is about our relationship to the Father. So the Lord's Prayer is a corrective against a self-oriented prayer. Because it orients us directly, vertically to the Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not my name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth and in my heart as it is in heaven. So we're praying um, that God will make His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Jesus began His ministry saying, repent for what? Remember? The end is near. No, that's the guy with the sandwich board on the, on the, on the, on the street. Close. The kingdom is at hand. That's right. Repent, he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom. Was he saying there's new boundaries? There's a new king that's taken over Israel? No, it's the kingdom is wherever the, the kingdom of God is wherever the kingdom, uh, where God is the king. And his, his kingdom is not geographical. It's, it's in your heart, right? Um, and so... Thy kingdom come. He's talking, the kingdom of heaven is wherever God is on the throne. Let your kingdom be right here. Right? Be the ruler of where I am. It was at hand because Jesus was present and the time for all people to come under the reign of God was near because the cross was coming. So what qualifies him to be the king? It's his holiness, right? It's his, he's the creator. It's He's, he's the one who, who uh, is, the, is the standard for all things. We pray thy kingdom come. We are supposing that the kingdom of God will supplant the rule of another king. If we need for his kingdom to come, it must be kicking out another king. And who's that king? Me, right? I'm, uh, yes, ourselves. I'm not your king, but you're your king. You're kicking out you. So, and it might not be just the self, but if, if I'm praying about 
Um, there, I mean, there's all sorts of things that we put on the throne of our hearts. So the first thing is, is definitely the self. I want my way. I'm convinced I know what's best for me. I'll be happy if I'm in control, right? Of course. Amen. Good night. Um, I, that's, that's what we think. I, as, I'm in, if I get my way, then I, I'll be happy. Sometimes circumstances can sit on the throne of our hearts. If this happens or if that happens, then I'll be at peace. I think ultimately still that's self on the throne, but we can think of it as you know, if my child gets this accomplishment or my child acts a certain way in church, wouldn't that be nice? Or um, if, um, if, uh, if my work goes well or whatever it is, uh, we can think about things or money or the security that comes with knowing we have money in the bank or the approval of others. That's a big one for me. I just, I just want people to like me and be happy with me. And I have, there have been times in my life where I've gone to great lengths, just stupid lengths, to try to get someone to like me and be happy with me when I should have long ago said, buddy, that's your problem. Um, but I, I just want them to be happy. Thy kingdom come is a corrective to those things. It submits to the kingship of God and places Him on the throne of our hearts. Um, but it's not just for us, right? I mean, surely that's where we start, but we pray for the salvation of our friends, our neighbors, our family. Pray for the salvation of our children. We're praying for, our, um, for circumstances of restoration, forgiveness. We're praying that God would take over our household. Thy kingdom come. And we pray, thy will be done. So thy kingdom come. And what you want, God, let what you want be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, there are two elements to this prayer. That is repentance and trust. Thy will be done. Repentance and trust. The repentance comes in, we want our will, and that goes back to who's on the throne, and we devise all sorts of ways to call our will God's will. And again, we're orienting ourselves here to the Lord. Your will be done, not mine. I mean, again, just in the same way I'm saying, root out the things in me that don't regard you as holy, I'm saying root out the things in me that don't want your will. And then there's trust. Because I'm saying if I don't want, if I want to you to root out the things in my heart that don't want your will. And I, what I'm also saying is that I trust that your will is better and that you know what you're doing. We're trusting his goodness. Even if it, if it just, it all seems wrong. Remember, you know, Isaiah 55, for the heavens are higher than the earth and um, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Like, I, God, I just, you're smarter than I am. I just... I need to, but I want to trust. I, can't, I, I can see what I want. I can't see you, so, but I want to trust, God, that you are, um, your ways are higher and, and better. So, oh, I just want that thing, but just you're going to have to make me not have that donut or whatever it was. So, um, for as, as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Romans 8.28, all things, right? All things work to the good of those who love the Lord. Even the bad stuff. It is one of the most amazing, majestic things that I think there is about God. That He can take the terrible things 
and not create a silver lining, but somehow turn those things to silver and gold. Like I can think of a time in my life when I was, um, and I've told this story before, but when I was going through um, the process to, of discernment to seminary and I got turned down, and, um, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, and I can, if you have questions, ah, oh, now I figure out why, why something's always been wrong about that guy. Um, I wouldn't wish, it was painful, I can tell you, but, but it was, um, I wouldn't trade that for the world because God needed to root things out of me through that process. That was His chosen process. It was, it was the way that He chose to humble me. All things work to the good of those who love the Lord. I, you know, one story that always comes to mind is um, uh, Frank Limehouse, who you've heard me talk about many times, and my mentor and, uh, who preached at my institution. Um, he, he said when he was a, a curate, I mean, so he, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, and he was um, newly ordained, and he went to uh, someone's house. The teenage son had been killed in a car accident. And he went to her house, and, and in his most pastoral voice he could think of, he just he put his arm around her and he said, I just want you to know this is not God's will. You know, he just wanted to say that God's not the bad guy here. God didn't do this. This is not God's will. And she turned to him and said, if you take that away from me, you take away every hope I have that there's some good in this. Because she knew that if God willed it, then I know this is hard to hear. But she said, if God willed this, then I can trust that he knows what he's doing. And that somehow, as awful, as painful, as just tearful as this situation is, there is something in here that God is going to take it and make it good for those of us who love him. But if he didn't will it, then it's all meaningless. So let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. That's what she said, and he's never forgot it, and he made sure I didn't too. So, um, no, so did God will that? Um, did he make it happen? That's another topic. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard, but I agree with her. I agree with her. I think that if you, take, if you say, uh, no, God didn't mean for that to happen, you take away the powerlessness of God, and if he is powerless, then... Uh, I mean, you take away the power of God, you make God powerless. And if, you t- if he is powerless, then there's no redemption. So, we're praying that God's will, when we pray that God's will be done, then we are praying, um, we are trusting the goodness of his will. Um, and we're praying that it is on earth as it is in heaven, because heaven is perfect. Heaven is the place that there is no tear or sadness, that sin is not, uh, has not broken anything. We're not trying to create heaven on earth. But we're asking God to rule and to advance His will here and now perfectly as it is in heaven. That's a big prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, <laughs> we say it so many times, it's kind of rote, we can float past it. That is a huge prayer. A huge prayer. So we have three more petitions. Before we do that, any yet some questions or thoughts? Want to blow back a little bit on me? It's okay. Yeah. yeah? 
Yeah? Well, I think that, for, I think some folks would find that really comforting. And I think in the moment where, I, you know, if I were to say to the, that mother, well, it was just his time, I don't think she would receive that as very pastoral. <laughs> um, I, I do under, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm not going to say, hey, this was God's will, you know, either. You know, I'm just going to say, hey, I love you and cry with her. That's what I'm going to do, pastorally. But I can appreciate what she said in the moment from her faith. But I, I mean, I think, what, you know, God numbers our days. And we lost, a, a, you know, the church was packed on Saturday. Uh, biggest funeral I've done since I've been here with Elizabeth Reeves, who's just a little bit older than I am and died of uh, cancer and had touched so many lives. And you think, I mean, how do we reconcile that? When Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And, and, and so... I, I don't know. What, I, what Paul says is that this earthly suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. So, it's, it's hard to recognize, but I don't think that this, I know for a fact that this life is not, not all there is to life. So. so, those are hard things to wrestle with, and I know that some of you have wrestled with them up close and personal. Um, and I honor that. So we, um, we pray now three petitions uh, because we have been oriented to God. You, he is our Father who art in heaven. Holy is His name. We're praying for His kingdom to come and His will be done on earth as in heaven. We are oriented to God now. So we can, because we are, we can ask for stuff. Right. So physical, mental, spiritual. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a, a physician turned preacher in the 50s in England. So he was... He's a British doctor from the 50s. Uh, he was really smart. Um, ah, that's funny. All right, come on. Um, our whole life is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He's, our whole life is found there in those three petitions. That's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Um, lead us not into temptation. Our whole life is found in those three petitions. And that is what make this prayer, makes this prayer so utterly amazing it is such a small compass our Lord has covered. In such a small compass our Lord has covered the whole life of the believer in every respect. Our physical needs, our mental needs, and of course our spiritual needs are included. Give us this day our daily bread. James, the epistle of James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is providing our physical needs. We might say, I know daily bread, but we're talking about the, before it becomes the word, you know, the word of God or before it becomes just whatever our general needs are. I, we don't live in a culture, many of us probably haven't had to, to wonder where our next meal is coming from, 
But God provides everything you've got. Everything you've got is from God. And, and I, it's all His. And, um, and so He is the provider of all things. And if God wanted, He could take it away. And sometimes I feel like when He does take it away, that's when we realize that He's the one that gives. I don't want Him to take away your next meal by any means. The question, how can we trust that He's going to give? Give us this day our daily bread. Number one, He owns it all. Right? He owns it all already. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. It's all His. Which means, it's not yours. And it's not mine. Which places us in a dependent relationship. Right? We're asking the Lord to provide rather than Him asking us, Ooh, I hope they give this year. No. We are dependent upon His provision. And we are asked to give of the things which He has given us in order to be like Him. And that's what stewardship is. We, we, we give back to Him what He's already given to us to, to, to be like Him. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He's a giver. And, and, and we're asked to give things back to exercise trust that He will continue to provide. You know, and it's a lifestyle of faithfulness. Stewardship's not church code for we want your money and it's October. You know, it's, stewardship means we are trusting uh, God's faithfulness. So we, we can trust that He'll give because He owns it all. Number two, we can trust because He gave us His Son. I just quoted John 3.16. He, he, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave His Son for the express purpose that He would become our Father. Our Father. And he will provide for our needs. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave you his son. How will he not also provide for our needs? God is concerned with our bodies, the physical nature of ourselves. We might expect that this would come last, but it actually comes first. When we're asking for stuff. Before climbing the heights to our spiritual needs, Jesus builds the foundation. That's why when we, we, we don't rush out to the homeless and say, hey, have you met Jesus? We need to give them a meal. We need to take care of things first so that they are in the right place to, to hear. No, we, if we just give them a meal and don't tell them about Jesus, I don't know that does much good either. I mean, I guess it gives them a meal, but we've got to tell them about Jesus. But we have to, give them, we have to meet those physical needs. And when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying for what we need. And I love that we're, I mean, that's a, that is a prayer. There's no culture that doesn't, bread's not a staple. But what, what do we need for today? Uh, it's not necessarily what we want, right? But... It's not limited to bread, but it's all the things that we need for the day. Uh, but what about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow's in God's hands. We come to the Father repeatedly. We don't say, give us this week our daily bread. We're going to come back tomorrow, right? Um, so this prayer is, is, first of all, physical for bread, but it's also spiritual because the Word of God sometimes is called bread. Jesus called Himself the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So, all that we need oh, is a gift from God. 
All right? We might get there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So meet our physical needs now and first thing, forgive us our sins. That's our number one spiritual need. Our number, our number one spiritual need is not to be nice, right? It is, it is to be forgiven uh, for our sins. Now, what is the problem with this verse? I think, there's a, I think this, this verse troubles me. And I wish it wasn't there in, in a sense. What? As we forgive those. God, please forgive me to this degree that I have forgiven other. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is bad news. Oh, what do you do? What do you do with that? Verse 14 and 15 in chapter 6 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <laughs> oh my gosh! That is... That's hard, y'all. Yeah. Y'all just took communion, right? It means you're good for everybody. Right? Woo! Now, we have to remember, don't we, that this petition comes under the heading, Our Father. So it's a petition for the children of God only, a petition for those who have been forgiven in full. It's not, I don't think, and maybe you can tell me, push back and say, I'm just doing gymnastics with it, but I think it's not just for the initial, it is not for initial forgiveness that comes with justification. It's not saying, make me a child as I make someone else a child. It's saying, I have, because I have been made your child and you're my father, I should have learned from you how to forgive in full. And therefore now, forgive me as I forgive. I don't think that this is saying that I can't get into the envelope unless I've forgiven. But because I'm in the envelope, I'm enveloped in Christ. I should have the resources to actually forgive others. When someone has beat me up, I still have the resources to love them. Now, I might have to set a boundary. You know, I don't need to continue to be a doormat. But I don't want to wish ill on them. I want them to come to repentance. And I want to make sure I'm doing the work in myself to make sure there is not something wrong with me I'm blind about. Can we forget? Can, can we confuse forgiveness and forgetfulness? Um, huh? No. Um, yeah, I don't think it means I don't. For, forgiveness is not saying it didn't happen, and it's not saying it didn't hurt. It's just saying I no longer hold you responsible. You don't have to let them do it again. No, I. I but if they do, you're still going to love them. Peter said, how many times, Lord, do I have to forgive? Seven? You know, because, you know, the rabbinic standard was three. He doubled it and added one. Seven, God, come on. Not seven, but 70 times seven. Oh, 490. Okay, check, check, check. No, you quit counting. But when they do it again, you forgive them. Now, again, I, I think there's some relevance for, for biblical, you know, healthy boundaries. But boundaries aren't grace. Boundaries are law, not grace. 
law. Yeah. Well, yes, but did God, yes, I agree. And I just, it takes wisdom because God didn't say, all right, Doris, I'm going to forgive you this one time, but you better not let it happen again. <laughs> Thanks be to God, he didn't say that, right? <laughs> so there is a, there is a uh, levit, I mean, there's a, a, the thing is we have a place to put it, <laughs> and that is on the cross. We get to put it on the cross. That sin that has been committed against, against you has already been died for and we can need to let it be died for and be done. It's not hurting that person that you don't forgive them. It's hurting you. So, we have the resources because we have been forgiven to forgive. And if we are not forgiving, then we are the one who is stunted. Forgive as I forgive others. I don't think this is justification, but it is personal righteousness, sanctification. What is a trespass? Hmm? Sin, yes. But when somebody comes on your property, right, they have unlawfully broken a boundary that was not theirs to break, right? And that's what we're doing with, with God. Spiritually, a trespass is, uh, you know, often a trespasser comes on your property to take your you know, your lawnmower or something like that, um, your weed eater. And, and so spiritually, a trespass is the same thing. When someone trespasses against us, they violate a, a boundary against our will and take something sometimes that doesn't belong to them. And that might be physical or psychological or emotional. Yeah? Yeah, forgive what we owe. And I don't think it's just it's fin- financial. Yeah, that's what, this is the RSV. It's a good translation. For you. Yes. Yes. Um, the Presbyterians say debts. Presbyterians say debts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put the away while the sun rises. Chapter the devil. Yeah, yep. Forgive us. Um. But it's, 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 it's the, the one who owes us. Forgive us what we owe you as we forgive those who owe. And it it's, has to do with that, that trespass, yes. All right, so let me skip that. We are, ooh, I got two minutes. Man, I got a lot more on this. I'm not even to with the problem with as. But, so we're not going to, we won't get to temptation, but um, if you, it's hard to see, um, let me get this, we can see, tr- we, it's easy to see trespasses against our neighbor, right? It's easy to see um, their trespass against us. That's, we, we got that. You know what's harder to see is pride, or hatred, or covetousness, or even uh, external sins like adultery, or theft, uh, it's harder to see that as a violation against God and his created order. But David, when he prayed about his sin with Bathsheba, he said, against you only have I sinned. I think it's a little preposterous. For him. I think it's offensive for David to pray that. I don't think he meant I didn't sin against Bathsheba or certainly against Uriah. What he's saying is that, that I can't break commandments two through nine without breaking commandment number one, which is to say, 
I broke commandment number one, which is to have no God before God, because I sat on your throne. And so every sin it, uh, is, is also a sin against God because we put ourselves on God's throne. If we have been justified, then why do we need forgiveness? If we have been cleansed from our sin, God has declared you clean from your sin, why do we need to ask forgiveness? Because we do, right? So remember, so this Monday, Thursday, next, a week from tomorrow, we'll be in here again from, for uh, foot washing, and the, you can get your foot washed or not, but we'll talk about um, this, the washing of the feet, right? Jesus poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is John chapter 13. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, you're not washing my feet. You're the Lord. Jesus said, what I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So what did Peter say? Well, then not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Come on, man. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's talking about Judas. Forgive, you're completely clean. Forgiveness is total, but it's not, again, it's not saying it didn't matter, it didn't hurt, it's not saying there's no consequences. It's saying, I will treat you, I will love you as if that never happened. But what the thing about what Peter is, the washing your feet is that we step in stuff, right? And so, though we are completely clean, it is good for us to be washed again. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woo! Y'all have a great night. God bless you. 744 right here. Um, we're not getting to temptation, but um, pray. The, oh, and I had a good joke about temptation. I'll have to tell it another time. Um, but, uh, but just pray the, the Lord's Prayer uh, and think, pray it slowly and pray it, deliver, pray it broadly. When you say, give us this day our daily bread, Go in your mind and your heart all through what that is, right? And so on. If you think about hallowed be thy name, think all the ways that he is holy. Think about his character. So use it as a pattern. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.